Today is Tuesday, November 8th. The title for our devotional is The Centrality of Christ. Yesterday, I began this week by exploring how we are all worshipers. We all worship something. If it isn't God, we will worship a created thing or person. So this week, my goal is to give you a picture of the supremacy or the preeminence of Christ so that you will worship him more, thereby diminishing your temptation to worship created things. To do so, we're going to spend most of the week in Colossians 1, 15-20, where Paul gives one of the most glorious depictions of Christ in all of Scripture. Before we get there, however, let's take a brief look at the context of Paul's writing and how it informs what he says here. He's writing to counter a heresy that has sprung up in the city of Colossae. The true nature of this heresy has puzzled scholars throughout the centuries. Paul gives us a few clues as to the nature of it, of why he's writing it within the book, but that's about all we have. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Colossians 2, 16 to 23 also says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, separated and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with us, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So in these verses, Paul gives us a glimpse into the heresy and the true doctrine to believe. This heresy was likely a syncretism of Judaism, some form of Roman polytheism, and Eastern philosophy. Similar to spiritualism today, this philosophy likely sought to combine the best from multiple religions to come to the truth. The antidote that Paul prescribes is a magnified picture of Jesus. Their view of Jesus is too small, essentially is what he's saying. The main purpose of this letter, then, is to magnify the glory of Jesus. Here he says that Jesus is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Jesus is head over every power and authority. To the Jewish elements of this heresy, Jesus is God in flesh. In him, the Old Testament promise of God visiting his people has come to pass. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. He is bringing the kingdom of God in its fullness, and it starts by bringing the elect or his people to the fullness in Christ. The law of Moses was a shadow of what was to come. It looked ahead to Christ as the true fulfillment of it. He is the reality, the law, a shadow. To the Roman and Eastern elements in his heresy, Jesus is the true Lord over all the elemental spiritual forces of this world. He is Lord over the lordship of Caesar, who was thought to be the son of the gods. He is Lord over the angels. He is Lord over all creation, and therefore, harsh asceticism, false humility is not warranted, and it's actually powerless to restrain our sensual indulgence, he says. 
Only Christ and a life lived in worship of him through the spirit whom he gives us can provide real power in restraining self-indulgence. Basically, Christ is central to any form of Christianity. When Christ is removed from its proper place of power and authority over all creation, and we fail to worship him, we worship created things rather than the creator. And in this case, they were even worshiping angels. For additional content, I'm going to link you to a uh, quote from the Martyrdom of Polycarp. This was an early Christian text written around 155 AD, at least that's when Polycarp lived and when this event took place. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. He was arrested for preaching Jesus and rejecting the lordship of Caesar. You'll see this in the text that I read. The text says, And there met him the sheriff Herod, who was the same as the one who had, that Jesus had stood before, right? Different person, though. And his father, uh, Nicetus, I don't know how to say that name, he, who removed him into their carriage and tried to persuade him, sitting by his side, saying, Now what harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and in offering incense, incense to Caesar, and so on, and thus saving thyself? He at first made no reply, but since they persisted, he said, I do not intend to do what you advise. Accordingly, he was led before the proconsul, who asked him if he were the man himself, that is, if he was indeed Polycarp. And when he confessed to being Polycarp, the proconsul tried to persuade him, saying, Have respect to thine age, because he was old at this time, and so forth, according to their customary form. Swear by the genius of Caesar. The genius of Caesar was an oath that was invented under Julius Caesar, and there were certain dates in the Roman calendar that were set apart for the worship of Caesar's genius. Repent, say away with the atheists. They called Christians atheists early on in the early years of the church because they only worshipped one God and not the many of the Roman world. Going on, but the proconsul urged him and said, swear and I will release thee, curse the Christ. And Polycarp said, eighty and six years have I served him and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? If we were to keep reading, we read that eventually they do burn Polycarp at the stake. Reflection time today. How central is Jesus to your life, really? Is your perspective of Jesus so glorious that you can reject the hollow and deceptive philosophies of our day? Is your perspective of Jesus so glorious that if your life were on the line, like Polycarp, you could say, how can I blaspheme my king who saved me?